It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. All right, welcome in. Lake Kick is live. It is Sunday night, April 18th, the year of our Lord, 2021. Easily as jam-packed a show as we've had since the national championship game, maybe signing day, maybe including national signing day. I'm looking on my screen right now at all the stuff we don't have time in the show for tonight, and there's a lot on my screen. So believe me, we are jam-packed as jam-packed can be. This basically, in a lot of ways, is going to resemble what a show in October on a Sunday night feels like. So we're going all over the place. There were a lot of spring games yesterday. We were leading up to it during the week. Obviously, we've got a lot of rapid reaction, as we like to call it around here tonight. Bama had a spring game. LSU, Georgia, it was loaded in the SEC. Ohio State hit the field yesterday. Uh, we got some stuff on Auburn. I mean, we, I wanted to put a lot of stuff about Oregon and Texas in the show tonight. They didn't have spring games. They had scrimmages, so we're going to have plenty of time this week to talk about them. You cannot afford, and I want to stress this before we even get into the show tonight. I was thinking about this driving in. I was talking to someone at another network about this driving in. You cannot afford to tune out right now. I know sometimes you guys like to take a little step away, and that's fine. Live your lives. Some of you have kids. You have lives. You have responsibilities. I'm just saying, if you want to be informed, come fall. If you want to be up on things, come fall. This is not, uh, there is no off-season. This is not the off-season to tune out. Because we have, number one, a second, probably a second transfer portal wave about to happen. we got spring games happening all over the place. The recruiting calendar is about to hit a shift back to normalcy. And you're going to see an entire, what we expect to be a tsunami. And by we, I mean we at 24-7 Sports talking to some people in the industry. We think there's going to be a huge wave, a tsunami of recruiting activity uh, in the offseason. Evaluations, commitments, new offers, etc. So all that's happening NIL is on the move in multiple states. We're two and a half months away from media days. And so there's really that, that offseason. There's not going to be one. There never is around here. But even by normal standards, there's not one this year. So do not tune out. And if you're tuned in right now, please like the video and subscribe wherever you are. The Show Owners Association meeting, we had a great time with it. It's up in the podcast feed. It is now up on the YouTube channel. It's evergreen, so you can watch it at your leisure whenever you want to. I encourage you to check that out. Uh, follow me on Instagram at Late Kick Josh. We're well on our way to another thousand there. So, I mean, we'll be knocking those things down and we'll be knocking those things out. We had almost a thousand people enter the lottery to participate in this last show. So, I mean, that's in the middle of April. Imagine what that would be like, again, if it were October. We got a lot of stuff we're working on around here. Um, if you're not already excited about this upcoming season, get excited. So let's dive in because I we got what could be like seven hours worth of show. So let's nail it down and shave it down as much as possible. Spring games all over the place yesterday. Let's start at LSU. I'm going all over the place. I'm going to bounce wall to wall and give you as many takes as I can and as many takeaways from speaking to people around these programs as I can. It was a long night and a long morning on phones with a lot of people. Really good conversations, though. They are trying to go at LSU as 2019 as possible. As you have seen, if you're following LSU, as you have read, as you have heard, when you look at everything from offensive coordinator hire and Pete's to defensive coordinator hire in Durante Jones, those are guys respectfully or respectably never get that word right. That have ties to obviously the proper elements that were around in 2019. Pete's obviously ties to Joe Brady. For those of you unfamiliar, that was the OC that's now with the Carolina Panthers. Uh, they did really good things at Baton Rouge in 2019, but also Durante Jones. He's got ties in his past to Dave Aranda. And so you start to see Ed Orgeron. It's it's not really, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand. Find out when you were at your best. Find as many of the elements that are related to what you were when you were at your best. Throw them all in the room. Shake it up. And not by the spring game, but hopefully by the fall, we have a product that looks a lot more 2019 than 2020. We start at quarterback because I think by 10 miles yesterday, that was the biggest I don't like you with a storyline all that much, but that was the biggest storyline around LSU. Miles Brennan and Max Johnson, we never viewed this. We, on this show at least, have never viewed this as a four-horse race. It's not. It never was. So we saw yesterday, those two have separated themselves. If you follow LSU, that's not breaking news. If you've really listened to Ed Orgeron talk, that's not really breaking news. 
there's no way that this is decided. It's decided to me it's a two-guy uh, race, but it's not decided by any stretch that this is Miles Brennan's job. We're just going to kind of keep Max Johnson on the line as long as we can because we don't want him to transfer. That's what some programs are going to do with the quarterback battle. That's not what's happening here. By no means is this decided. Now, I will say this. Watching yesterday sort of reinforced my already held belief that I believe Max Johnson's in this. He's going to have to definitively take that job, whereas I think Miles Brennan uh, will only have to be competitive or be comparable. And that's just my personal feel on that. I could be wrong on that. That's not information I've gotten from anyone. That's just personal feel. I'm not sure where their offensive line is. I don't think they know where their offensive line is. Uh, This is something you see a lot of times in spring games. There wasn't much of a running game yesterday. And that wasn't a mystery. That was something those defensive guys knew when they got off the bus yesterday morning. And so in a lot of cases, even if you are the most disciplined by nature, defensive lineman, defensive end, edge rusher by nature, a lot of times when you get 15, 30, 45 snaps into a game and you realize all they're doing is throwing the ball, you get to pin your ears back and you get to go after the quarterback a little bit. And so you start to get some irregular results. So I'm not going to sound all the alarm bells around Louisiana over maybe some inadequacy that we saw along the LSU offensive line yesterday. However, I will say, even with that defensive front having a couple of defensive ends out, they got consistent pressure, especially the early portions of the game. They got pressure. So I don't know how much to take away from that. I'll say I think the offensive line situation is still kind of unsettled, not across the board, though, like maybe the interior, maybe on the right side a little bit, a little unsettled. Again, it's a good thing it's spring right now. So I think everyone looks at this twofold now. It used to just be, okay, we've got the offseason. Hopefully we can go through strength and conditioning. Hopefully a lot of guys, uh, a lot of guys really hone in in the offseason and perfect their craft and blah, blah, blah. I mean, those aren't blahs. Those are legitimate. But now you also have another saving grace that's not going to save nearly as many of you as you think it is. But you also got the transfer portal out there. And so the transfer portal is going to be a cure-all for every single gap on every single roster. And in reality, you're going to find even the elite programs. Most cases, you're going to be stuck with what you're stuck with. And so that's why you pay coaches six and seven figures a year, even at the positional level. You got to get it figured out. Keishon Boutte is a surefire number one receiver in the SEC. He's he's an elite receiver nationally. He's going to compare favorably to anyone's number one receiver. Proven depth behind him is going to be an issue for them. However, unlike the situation at some other programs, LSU's wide receiver room is not void of talent. They've got a lot of names if you follow recruiting, and we tend to do that around here. They've got a lot of names we remember talking about in signing days past. They got some guys from this past signing day that are either on campus or coming on campus they have to uh, develop them. So proven depth is what I'm talking about. A lot of folks, I think, look at a chart and they just see a bunch of names that had a bunch of stars next to their name. They think that's depth. No, that's a bunch of names. Proven depth means guys that you can trust to put on the field at winning time and they can help win you football games. I don't know that they have a whole lot of those guys yesterday. Uh, Kirkland, wide receiver, had a really good day yesterday. That's the really good thing about sometimes when you're holding guys out of spring games. Saw this at a number of places yesterday. When some top-line guys are held out, you start seeing names that maybe have not been plastered all over the place. They get a shot, and then all of a sudden they shine, and you look at the stat sheet, and you say, he had how many catches for how many yards? Even though it's a spring game, draw your own conclusions. No, they got some talent down there. They just have to develop it. It's certainly not going to be the wide receiver room maybe from years past, last couple of years. Maybe not. We'll just see about that. But offensive line, wide receiver, there are valid questions there, I think, past the front line guys. But this whole game yesterday for LSU, it was a whole lot more of a theme over team type of deal. Everyone structures their spring games a little bit differently. But I didn't, nor did you, in all likelihood, tune into the LSU game and say, all right, we're about to learn everything we need to know about this team. When I say theme over team, I'm just trying to get a feel. When I'm looking at those quarterbacks, I'm not going stat sheet for stat sheet. I'm not going throw for throw because it's not an apples to apples comparison. But I'm just trying to get a feel. When I watch Miles Brennan, remember when we talked about going into this game, like which quarterback feels like more of a field general? Who looks like they step up in the pocket better? Who looks like they command the team better? Who Just who looks like that? That kind of thing. I'm not saying anyone stood out over the other. I think Miles Brennan looked very good. I don't think he's all the way back from that abdomen injury. Uh, talking to someone who was at that game yesterday, I think his best football is still ahead of him. 
and by best football this year. I think it's still ahead of him. So a lot to look forward to with LSU. I think they validated a lot of the belief that it's going to be hard with an overall talent roster that good to fail as spectacularly as many people think they will. My personal finer point on that as we move on here is I think it's going to be doubly hard with a quarterback room as good as theirs to fail as spectacularly as a lot of people expect them to. I said something on Twitter the other day. A lot of you got bent out of shape by it. I'm not sure why. To me, it's pretty commonsensical. I think LSU has got one of the best quarterback rooms in America. I wouldn't compare it to Oklahoma. I wouldn't compare it to Ohio State. I don't think they have a quarterback as good as Bryce Young from Alabama. Probably not a quarterback as good as JT Daniels. Understand that can be true. They can also have a better room than 95% of D1, of FBS, of Power 5. And so it just it's rare when you see that many solid options that none of them pan out. That's all I'm saying. So some, some mixed results from LSU as to be expected in the spring game. How about Alabama? Is that the one that's next, Jesse? I think it is. So Alabama had their spring game yesterday. They're going to have a squad this fall. They had so many guys missing yesterday, and yet if you would have tuned in with no context, you would have said, that looks like a national championship contender. Yeah, they are. And they were missing a lot of guys yesterday, too. Bryce Young, I think, showed everything that you would need to see from him to validate the expectation that he's going to be one of the top quarterbacks in America. Um, Very early on in spring, you remember there were some whispers out there. There were some little pseudo headlines that didn't want to outright say it but wanted to suggest so that you would interpret it as maybe Paul Tyson making a move there. Paul Tyson's not making a move. No one's making a move at quarterback at Alabama. It's Bryce Young's job. Barring injury, it will be his job. So I think uh, anyone with a rational pair of eyeballs in their head saw that yesterday. Now we move on and we look around, and all of a sudden there are these other names because it's a perfect situation for Bryce Young. And the perfect situation is he came in last year as a top quarterback in the country. But because Alabama was already set at quarterback, as it turns out, he didn't need to start last year. Ohio State's got this right now. Uh, Georgia's got it with Brock Vandergriff right now. LSU's got it with Nussmeyer. North Carolina's got it with Drake May. You bring in high-level guys, but because you have adequate proper depth, they don't have to start immediately, and you're all the better for it once they finally do start. So now Bryce Young has an entire season under his belt. He's going to have an entire spring under his belt. When you watched him yesterday, when you listened to Herb Street and Galloway standing there with Nick Saban on the field yesterday— You know, those guys, by the way, listen when you mic Nick Saban up and you mic those guys up during spring games. Listen, because they're sharing with you about as much insight from Nick Saban in that program as you're going to get anywhere up to and including the season. And when they talked about him being in full control of the offense, there's nothing he doesn't know. Well, that's a product of having been on campus now for two spring periods, even though you didn't have spring last year, but he was there for two install periods. Nick Saban's gone out of his way to talk about Bill O'Brien being the new OC there. And if you follow Alabama, you've already heard him say this. When we interviewed him a couple of weeks ago, it was like a couple of months ago now, he said it to us. He said it again yesterday when asked, what are the differences going to be with Bill O'Brien coming in here? And he said, we didn't really change anything. We haven't changed anything offensively because the way we look at it is we can either have the entire organization learn one man's scheme and way of doing things, or we can have a set successful way of doing things and we can bring one man in here and have him learn all of it. And that's the way he's doing it with his offensive coordinator named Bill O'Brien right now. So they got everything set the way that they'll need it to a quarterback. Bryce Young's not a finished product. You saw some mental errors yesterday, and that is spring. Even their most prolific offenses have looked terrible at times in spring. But get off quarterback, because quarterback's not even an issue for them or a question right now. What was a question, and to some extent still will be going into the season, is at all these seem like infinite amounts of true freshman receivers coming in, Which one's going to pop? And so far this spring, we had heard whispers about this name, that name, but we hadn't really heard one name step to the forefront. And then yesterday happened, and a G.A. Hall is a name that a lot of you have seen, but you have been very hesitant to try and pronounce because you don't normally see those combinations of letters put together very often. But when you look at what Jesse's showing you right now, you better learn to pronounce his name because I haven't seen a name that I was more... Convinced I was going to have to learn since the name Tonga Vailoa came into Tuscaloosa. That's a superstar and will be as a true freshman. That's as plain as I can put it. When he started making plays in the spring game yesterday, they, they went and found Saban and said, who's 17? Uh, that's Waddle's number, right? But he's gone. Who is 17? Uh, well, essentially, in not so many words, Saban said, that's a guy we're going to see a lot this year. 
And so he didn't really even mince it. He doesn't talk about early enrollees or freshmen or really any players like that, unless you're probably going to have a high likelihood of seeing him this fall. Really fluid, good route runner. He possesses all the characteristics of these other guys they've had through there. But then you start to pull up RollTide.com, pull up the roster. Oh, he's 6'3", is he? 6'3". And had one like that in a while there. At least that possesses that kind of skill set. So he's really good. But then I want to look past Hall, and I want to talk about JoJo Earl. Can't, because he wasn't playing yesterday. I want to talk about Christian Leary. Can't. Ja'Cory Brooks. Can't. John Mechie. Can't. I had someone text me and say, I don't know, man. Like They, they had some guys who flashed here and there. I don't think their receiver room is going to be a strength for them this year. Alabama's going to have one of the best receiver units in the country. Anyone who wants to set up a side wager with me on that, feel free to reach out. Uh, I think they're going to be really improved defensively. I think Georgia and Alabama both yesterday showed really promising signs defensively of getting past a lot of what they struggled with defensively last year. Pass rush is going to be there for them, but it's not just one or two players. I think it's collectively, now make no mistake, they got the star players, but I think it's collective effort across the front. You didn't see Will Anderson yesterday, who is their best pass rusher. A name you did see is Chris Braswell, who was a five-star in his own right, came in last year, kind of got buried, had some development to do. Uh, he had a strip and score yesterday, and so that name, LeBron Ray, but I'm, for their sake, just as excited about their ability all along the interior of that defensive line to get pressure. Guys like Tim Smith, it's a name that you just kind of forget is there. DJ Dale's a name you kind of forget is there. And we've talked about these guys a lot, the collective unit that they have on the interior of that defensive line. I think they're going to be really good at pressuring the quarterback, which then lends itself to really assisting a lot of that defensive back depth that, again, you and I had talked about this past week leading up to the spring game, and then you see it on display yesterday. Josh Job is a name that you know is kind of a proven commodity. Jalen Armour Davis is a guy they handed out a bunch of awards to afterwards for being one of the most improved players on that team. I thought he was really good at contesting balls in the air yesterday. Uh, there could have been several more big plays through the air, if not for him. And if you listen to the way Nick Saban was riding Kool-Aid, Jaquincy McKinstry, who wears number one, let me get back to that in a second, very obvious that they expect him to contribute this year too. So saw a lot of good things from Alabama. They're going to be a bona fide national championship contender. Speaking of that number one, before we move on, I just want to offer a little word of advice. Name, image, and likeness is a big thing on the forefront. Marketing is a really popular word right now. If you walk onto a college campus and the number one jersey is not already taken, grab it. I don't care how many stars you had next to your name. If number one's available, grab it and run. Quincy McKinstry had the good sense to do that at Alabama. And one more just a little programming note, a little piece of advice for anyone out there. Now, I know ESPN had their A-team in Tuscaloosa yesterday. They had Joe Tess down there, had uh, Kirk Herbstreet down there. If Nick Saban agrees to wear a live microphone for you during a broadcast, you might want to cut your verbalization down about 60-70% and just open the mic up. Have the dump button ready. Have a strong seven-second delay but open the mic up because that is some of the best overall college football content that you will get all year. And you have it. You have it right there. He's not going to do that for anyone else. We don't get it in the game, but you get to see him mic'd up live TV standing right there on the field behind his offense and defense. He's got a guy standing there calling every defensive play for him. You're getting live feedback from him. He was mostly really good with the expletives yesterday. So it's viable. It's a viable TV product on a Saturday afternoon in the middle of the day. Just open him up and just let him go. Let's move on. Ohio State's opened it up, and they are certainly letting it go. Quarterback, wide receiver, running back, I could make the argument all three of those rooms for Ohio State are as loaded, respectively, as any of those rooms are for any other program in America. And this is a team coming off a national championship game appearance, but yet the standard there is such that they're like a racehorse. We use this metaphor a lot, the racehorse with the blinders on, and it can't really look to its left or right. Therefore, Ohio State football, from an operational standpoint to a game day standpoint to a hiring standpoint and a recruiting standpoint, they don't even act like they're aware how thoroughly they're lapping the Big Ten because they don't really care where they stand in the Big Ten. It's not how they measure themselves. They are so far removed. They're in a different galaxy of standards and so when you watch Ohio State operate and you look at how much talent they're stacking, I guess an old school way of looking at it would be saying, well, how many touchdowns do you need to beat everyone up here by? They don't care about that, man. You know what they remember? They remember how many touchdowns they got beat by in the national title game. They don't care, man. They're going to 
they're going to smoke everyone in all likelihood in the Big Ten this year. But they still hadn't won the top prize in the industry. They still, uh, under Ryan Day, that is. They haven't won it. Wow, they're loaded. So I was reading over on Bucknuts.com today. Dave Biddle, a lot of the guys over there, I mean, they had blowout coverage as they normally do. There were really good results yesterday, but that quarterback room, I was reading some of the staff talking over there about Jack Miller. Jack Miller is one of three quarterbacks for Ohio State that would start at most places. Uh, C.J. Stroud, I saw Dave Biddle talking over there. I agree uh, that C.J. Stroud has got to be the leader in the clubhouse there. Talk to someone close to Ohio State this week who was adamant that this is not decided. And, and I agree. I don't think it's decided yet. But if you look at C.J. Stroud and then you look at Kyle McCord ripping some balls yesterday and you look at Jack Miller, I think Jack Miller, as the guys on Bucknuts were talking about, it's a really it's a really peculiar case. Because on one hand, you got an ultra-talented quarterback there. But then he's probably looking up at C.J. Stroud. And at the very least, he's looking parallel at Kyle McCord at the very least. And then if you happen to look in the rearview mirror, they got the number one quarterback in America committed for this upcoming cycle. And so it's great to have a competitive spirit. And you, you don't commit there if you don't have one in all likelihood. But I just wonder about a guy like Jack Miller. Just kind of pulling a name. You can pull any of those names out of the hat. How in the world does he process what's going on up there? No matter how he processes it, this ends good for Ohio State. I'm going to talk about the same element in play at the receiver position right now. Their quarterback room at Ohio State is so good that it's very likely someone's future national championship hopes reside in that room, inside those four walls. You know history as well as I do. It's very unlikely all these guys stay on campus over the next two or three years. I don't enjoy talking about that a whole lot. It's not a theme I like to hit on regularly, but I am a realist, and I know not all three of those guys in all likelihood are staying on campus. One of them is probably going to transfer somewhere and turn some team into a national championship contender. That's how good Ohio State is. It's like Joe Burrow a few years ago. We didn't know it, but LSU's best hope at winning a championship in this era was not even in Baton Rouge. He was in Columbus, Ohio. Well, who's to say Jack Miller doesn't transfer to fill-in-the-blank U and ends up being their biggest hope in a generation for a championship? They're loaded, man. Ohio State's loaded. I'm not concerned with how they're going to keep guys in any position room. If you watched him at receiver, and we can take a break from talking about how loaded they are at quarterback, let's talk about how loaded they are at receiver. They got so many guys all over the place. It's so popular. I think people kind of find it in vogue now. They don't want to talk about how good you are. They want to skip past that, and they want to say, but, but you know, that old transfer portal, they're not going to be able to keep all these guys. Cool. No, they're probably not. You know what they'll still be? They'll still be a winner. They will win no matter what because by default, by the very nature of the transfer portal, the guys leaving 99% of the time are the guys that are probably really good. They could be really high character kids. They tried. They were fully dedicated and they just were not good enough. They didn't have enough God-given ability, even with those four and five stars next to their name, to get on the field for you. Because I'm looking at the list. They got so many of them, I have to write them down. You look at Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson coming back. Those are names you know. Did you see Marvin Harrison Jr.? You seen Emeka Egbuka kind of kicked it off for him yesterday. Jaden Ballard's a guy I talked about a lot last week. Like They love him. He's really a burner that probably gets overshadowed a lot because of Egbuka. Uh, they got Jamison Williams, Julian Fleming. Have we already forgot about that name? No, man, not all those guys are going to stick around, but it doesn't matter because a critical mass of them are going to stick around. And the ones who do are the ones, again, by default, who are the best among that crop. So, man, they're, they're just, there are top 20 receivers in America on their roster right now that are not going to be good enough to get on the field to put a finer point on how loaded the Ohio State wide receiver room is. As for their defense, because we can talk about offense all day, their defense, I don't know, uh, because I don't really look at their spring game and their format for a spring game, because they don't tackle in the spring game, as being conducive to drawing conclusions. Like I've got concerns about them at defensive back. It, it varies based on who you're talking to in and around the Ohio State program as to how many people echo that sentiment. Some people would indicate to you there have been gains made there. We already talked about and chronicled the coaching changes they made in the secondary. I say that to say this. I'll have to see it. I saw some good things, saw some not-so-good things yesterday. Now, the question is going to be, as you look up and down their schedule come fall, when are we going to know? I kind of talked about this last year with Ohio State secondary, to be honest with you. When are we going to know? They got Oregon coming in there in week two. I think they opened with Minnesota. They've got some teams that can throw the ball, that at the very least will be 
uh, committed to throwing the ball. I don't exactly know how many high-level, potent passing attacks they'll face in their regular season schedule, outside of Indiana, of course, that are built to give us a nice data point and a nice expectation level for how they match up against a Clemson or against an Alabama or against whoever in the world else makes the playoff, Oklahoma, um, Iowa State. And so I don't know is my point. They could be hanging 50-plus on everyone this year. I think they'll have a historic offensive year, and yet we'll still be asking, I wonder how much this translates to the playoff. feel pretty good about penciling them in that far, though. Uh, One more thing. Uh, Even amongst a sea of really good players, Travion Henderson's going to be so good. Travion Henderson's a guy who did not jump off the stat sheet yesterday. But if you've ever watched, if you've watched football for a long time, you know exactly what I'm about to say. And you know the kind of guys, they're few and far between, that fit this description. Sometimes you have a running back that every time they touch the ball, you just kind of tense up. You kind of, you, you look and you just feel like something's going to happen. And he's one of those guys. Travion Henderson is as much a can't-miss guy at the running back position as you'll see in college football. So, shockingly, I know it was a really good day uh, and a really promising future there in Columbus, Ohio for the Buckeyes. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. I told you we had a lot to go because we're not close to done yet. The Georgia Bulldogs had their spring game yesterday. The first headline I see, I'm settling in here at the office. I got like 19 TVs on. I'm all ready to go. And then I see a headline from our Rusty Menzel. Six scholarship receivers are going to miss the G-Day game. Well, that's wonderful. And so there weren't exactly the opportunities we hoped, including with Arian Smith, the guy that we circled on the show Thursday. We didn't get the opportunities we hoped. We thought it may be rain that held the passing game in check. As it turns out, it was... Well, a combination of other things. They had pretty good weather there yesterday. Kyrus Jackson looked good. Kyrus Jackson's a name that you know as the wide receiver room there in Athens kind of kind of filters in and out. Kyrus Jackson's a proven commodity for them. But how about Adoni Mitchell? Adoni Mitchell is a perfect example, just like we talked about with LSU. You got some guys missing time. You got some guys who are going to be out for the spring game. And so Adoni Mitchell says, I'll step up. And he stepped up yesterday. He caught a laser from JT Daniels. But he's also a guy in the aftermath or as you might know it, a press conference, that Kirby Smart talked about as having come on in the last week. He was not a guy who was very highly touted in recruiting, but he was a guy that in the evaluation process, he made a point to say, as you're looking at the catch right there, Kirby Smart made a point to say, we didn't really care how many stars he had next to his name. We trust our evaluation, and our evaluation on him was that he was a take for us, and so they took him. And he's been really good for him, obviously an early enrollee. Uh, Kirby made it a point to say, the last three practices he had up to this spring game were his best. Got some conditioning work to do. He did not talk about him at all like he's a finished product. And that's that's always what I want to hear. When these guys pop in the spring game, I want to hear the coaches talk about him afterwards. Because sometimes you'll have a guy that it just all aligned for in the spring game, but you did not get an accurate portrayal in that spring game of the kind of player they are. And if that's the case, coaches will not hype them up. They will not allow them to be hyped up in a post game. They'll start talking about the things they still need to work on. Well, Kirby didn't do a whole lot of that yesterday. He, he, he was effusive in his praise, talked about conditioning, like talked about some things that he needed to clean up. But that's going to be a guy that they think they can count on. Now, the question is, once they get all those half dozen scholarship receivers they were missing yesterday back for fall, well, then all of a sudden you wonder, like, where does a guy like Mitchell fit into that rotation? Wherever it is. I think he'll have he'll have a place. They want to go. I mean, they want to have six or seven guys that they can rotate in there. JT Daniels looks ready. 
J.T. Daniels leads me to believe that for the first time in quite a while, and I want you to think about what I'm saying here, and I want to restart it because I want to use this as a clip. J.T. Daniels makes me think that we're in a position at Georgia right now for the first time in a while. You don't have to enter the season with quarterback as a question mark. Maybe defensive back? How ironic would that be? Perhaps offensive line? When's the last time we entered a season? And you're a Georgia fan, and you're looking there in, in July and August, and you're saying, what are the biggest questions here? Well, we got quarterback figured out. We got a stud there. Now, I don't know about these defensive backs. Now, as offensive line may hold us back. Normally, it's the inverse. So it's funny how things change. Like the ranking next to your team may look roughly the same, but the style of team changes every year. It's really fun. He's got everything. JT Daniels possesses everything from a skill set standpoint that they're going to need to be a contender this year. He's smart. He's intuitive. I think they touched on that in great detail on broadcast yesterday. Showed a lot of touch. I mean, he's got a plus arm when he needs it. He's got the touch when he needs it. Poise, when you talk to quarterbacks, coaches, is the most important and tangible that you can have. He's got that, really good pocket awareness. He's mobile enough, got enough pocket mobility. You saw him stretch plays a couple of times yesterday and end up making plays and and pushing the ball downfield because of that. He's got everything they need. If he stays healthy, it's not going to be quarterback that holds Georgia back this year. Interesting change. So then we talk about, well, what could What could hold him back? Not necessarily that yesterday was a definitive answer on this question, but I didn't leave yesterday having all of my um, concerns eased about their offensive line. Early on, what stood out to me the most was offensive line sprung some leaks. It wasn't just from one position. It wasn't really just from one area. Edge pressure was effective. Interior pressure was effective. Now, that cleaned up a little bit as the afternoon went on. Uh, There are different reasons. When you talk to people around the program, there are different reasons that that can be explained away, kind of like we talked about with LSU, to be honest with you. Yesterday and most times under Kirby Smart during spring, Georgia has leaned heavy on the pass. Defensive guys know that. They can pin their ears back. It's, It's a little bit different than the dynamic that they'd have in a normal game. And so I don't know. My point is, I don't know how to interpret all that. I'll just say, I don't know that we're entering the 2021 season looking at that offensive line as this impenetrable force that sometimes Preview Magazine has us believing Georgia's offensive line is. They still have a very high ceiling, having said that. Uh, Jamari Salyer is a guy who probably holds a lot of that in his hands. Georgia is going to be a problem for a lot of RPO-based offenses out there, and I'll tell you exactly why. Anytime that we're looking at a prolific passing attack out there, a prolific RPO-based passing attack, what's normally happening is they're normally not getting disrupted up the middle. There just aren't a lot of bodies like Wyatt for Georgia, like Jordan Davis for Georgia. There just aren't a lot of those guys out there. But because Georgia recruits so well, they can have so many sub packages, they can be so multiple defensively that they can have terrors off the edge like Adam Anderson, but they can also have guys that can really collapse you on the interior. And when you put all that stuff together, my point is disruption to an RPO-based offense, to a timing and rhythm offense, is no different than throwing the stick in the bicycle spokes. And they have the ability to do that. And so I'm not saying that, well, they have the secret formula and ingredients for being the magic elixir that beats an Alabama or an Ohio State if they run up against them. I'm just saying That's the kind of defensive personnel that you would need to have in order to pull something like that off. If you turned on a game and and let's say they were playing in Alabama and all of a sudden Bama's averaging 50 points a game and you go into the fourth quarter and they got 23 on the board or something like that. Well, that would be how that happens if it were to happen. But it's time for Kirby and his staff to go to work here because they've got the question, that long-awaited answer to that quarterback question. Well, they have it now. And so, sure, this is an imperfect roster. I got good news for them. Even as loaded as some of these other teams are, there is no perfect team out there. So they got plenty enough kids that can play high enough ball on this team to contend for a national championship. And they got the piece of quarterback that they haven't had. And so now, if your biggest question is defensive back, and your head coach is Kirby Smart, and you got Dan Lanning over there, and you just brought Will Muschamp in off the scrap heap for good measure, you better get defensive back figured out. There's no reason not to. Youth and inexperience... When you got as much talent as they have on the roster there, they are not viable excuses. They just won't be. And so you also play in a conference where you can afford a hiccup and still achieve everything that you want to achieve. But I think defensive back, we probably exit spring at Georgia with defensive back to me as being the biggest question there. But I'm really interested to see how they handle this summer and then leading up to fall and that opener against Clemson because 
that staff, this is, again, this is why you go out and you get as many quality coaches as you can and you stack them, partly so no one else can have them. But the other side is, this is going to be a situation you face in some shape, form, or fashion every year. When you roll over the percentage of your roster you do at the college level, you're going to have green aspects of your roster no matter where it is. This year it happens to be defensive back. That happens to be your coaching wheelhouse. Got to get it done this year. Let's go south a little ways, shall we? The Miami spring game happened yesterday. Watch this one late last night. This could be one of the more underrated quarterback rooms in the nation because I think a lot of people, rightly so, are focused on if and when De'Eric King can get back. They open against Bama and Atlanta. They're adamant, they being Miami, that De'Eric King's going to be able to get back. Uh, they claim he's well ahead on his rehab schedule. I don't doubt him, uh, for the record. But since he didn't play in their spring game yesterday, you got to see Tyler Van Dyke, and you got to see Jake Garcia. And they had pretty good showings, to be honest with you. I would probably lean Garcia a little bit there, fresh out of high school. But I, I really kind of liked what I saw from yesterday. And again, you start to build that quarterback depth in a room, and all of a sudden, maybe you're in a position a year from now where one of those guys is viably contending for the starting position if something crazy doesn't happen this year. And you're looking at it like we look at with Bryce Young at Bama, and we say, man, this guy, probably talented enough to start at some places last year, he didn't because they had King, who ended up being healthy, let's hope. And now look at how well-positioned he is for this year, 2022. So I thought Garcia, what stood out to me more is he ran tempo. He ran the hurry-up offense for them, I think, a lot better than Van Dyke did. They, they both had flashes. They both had young mistakes yesterday. But to be clear, because I saw some, saw some chatter on Twitter, that's De'Eric King's job. Uh, he is solidly the best quarterback option for them. I had a disagreement with one of my Miami buddies yesterday. Going to have to agree to disagree if you're trying to tout one of these guys after yesterday. Um, I can assure you their coaching staff internally. I don't think it's doing that. Defense, um, it doesn't have to be iffy. Okay, So the defense for Miami is iffy right now. I thought take my biggest takeaway from watching all these spring games yesterday was there were two position groups that stood out to me as needing the most immediate transfer portal help. One of them was Auburn's wide receivers. We're going to talk about them later. And the other one's Miami's linebacking core. Because this can be a good team. They can be good. There is such a hinge factor to Miami. Every year, I identify like three or four hinge teams. And by hinge teams, I mean you look at the roster, and on the surface, you could see them going 11-1. and one. You could see them going 8-4. and four. And there are going to be so many close games, one-possession type games, where a few mental errors here or there, bounces of the ball, Bob plays as we call them, they're going to decide things. Not filling the proper gaps, the difference on a stop and forcing fourth and two versus a 38-yard gain to the house, you got to get better. And I think they got to get a little bit bigger, have a little more thump at linebacker. I think they're aware of that. Okay, And what you've seen in the transfer game from Miami, and if you haven't already seen it, go back and watch their spring game, Tyreek Stevenson. Instant impact player for them. Charleston Rambo, another transfer from Georgia and Oklahoma, respectively. Instant impact player for them. Also, I think probably, even though he may not garner as many headlines, one of, if not the most important transfers out of this trio may be DeAndre Johnson. He's a defensive end, and Miami fans understand. If you're a more national type and you don't understand why that's so key, Quincy Roche and Jalen Phillips are two defensive ends that are headed off to the next level now. Not only do you have to fill their spot, but they were both transfers in their own right from, I believe, Temple and UCLA. Uh, and so here's what that does. Well, number one, you got to fill the spot. But number two, as I've talked about before with Miami, I don't think there are very many programs in America better positioned to capitalize on the transfer portal and NIL, but right now transfer portal than Miami. So many guys want to go to South Florida. So many guys want to go back home to South Florida every year from rosters all across America. You're just a natural landing spot. Geography is doing you the biggest favor in the world right there. And so now you look at this trio of transfers, and if they follow in the footsteps, let's say, of a guy like Roche and a guy like Phillips, and it starts to become this brand in and of the bigger brand of the U there, that this is the place to come. This is kind of a, a transfer rebirth zone of sorts, even if you're not from South Florida, but especially if you are from here and we let you get away, come back home, repair your image, or get the chance maybe here that you couldn't get on another roster, and we are a pipeline, not just for high school recruits, but for transfers to the NFL. It's something I can guarantee you they're looking to sell behind the scenes. It's early. There aren't enough trends that have formed yet, but that's something to watch. 
Just, just watch Jordan this year. And if he starts to follow in those footsteps, if Rambo, if Tyreek Stevenson, he's in a, a bona fide contract year this year, if they start to follow in those footsteps, just something to keep an eye on with Miami. This is going to be a big year for Rhett Lashley coming up. There was a lot of time dedicated on that broadcast yesterday. And there's been a lot of time uh, this spring, to be honest with you, dedicated to emphasizing, hey, this is Rhett Lashley's offense. Okay, no one ever suggested it wasn't, but he's a guy in control now. And he's also a guy they've been able to feel out down there. You know, they did not immediately land on him when Diaz took over, but he's the guy now. And I think a lot of people in the industry, in the coaching industry, maybe in the recruiting world, they want to see Rhett Lashley have that one breakout year. They want to see Miami make not just kind of maybe a jump, but a huge splash in terms of offensive production. There have been times, like there have been moments, but they want to see it and, and look, be able to look at 2021 and say, no, that's the year we took off. Like that's the year everything changed. And that wasn't something you were going to see yesterday, obviously, but it's something that you need to see this year. If you got to go to the portal for wide receiver, whatever, that's something they should see. They got to find a feature back. Like they got to find a guy that's, they've talked about it all spring. They got to find a guy that they can ride. Uh, I've got my preference there. Uh, Cameron Harris is there, but they, they got to find a guy they can ride. Knight and I think played a lot yesterday, but Rhett Lashley has got to have a big year because as his offense goes this year, so too will go Miami. It can be a really good team. Like I said, they are the quintessential hinge team for me in college football this year. They got a critical summer coming up. They got a critical fall camp coming up. Uh, if you get quarterback figured out, and by that I mean if King is indeed healthy and ready for fall camp, and they fortify, especially the middle of that defense, and cut down on mistakes. Uh, drop balls, still an issue for them yesterday. They just can't have that stuff happen. If they get that stuff taken care of, at least to a high enough degree, that's going to be the difference. It's going to be the difference between 10-2, and two, bordering on better, versus 8-4 and four and asking what might have been and what could have been at the end of the year. Moving on, how about the Auburn spring game? How many of you saw this yesterday? Bo Nix, name that, oh, it's on everyone's radar for some reason or another. Most of the time it's critical. They didn't do a lot offensively yesterday. It's only their 14th practice. They, uh, they structure their spring game to where they have the game. Then they have one more practice, I think, on Monday, which is the way I would do it, to be honest with you. But Brian Harson and his staff are brand new there. As we've talked about throughout the duration of spring, the first order of business for them was doing a healthy inventory of the entire team, start at quarterback, figure out what we have uh, from the neck down, skill set, from the neck up, mentally, how much do we have to deprogram, how far do we have to back it up in reverse before we can put it in drive and then and start to go. I don't know if you picked up on this, and Harson started talking about it a little bit in his postgame yesterday. There was a lot of that on display. See, I think maybe some of you looked and you just wanted to see completion percentage. How many throws does he make? Well, if you notice something else happening procedurally yesterday, they were throwing some stuff at Bo Nix, but what it was is they were testing him operationally. And I had someone text me afterwards and they said, did you pick up on this? And I said, I had it on a screen and I did notice one thing. What I noticed was they were putting him in a lot of situations where he handled the checks at the line of scrimmage. Now, to many of you who have a more modernized but typical offense that your team runs, you say, what's the big deal there? Well, if you watch Auburn football, Gus Malzahn's entire modus operandi is to take as much of the decision-making off the player as possible. He wants to make the changes. He wants his offensive staff to essentially think for the quarterback on the sidelines. And whether you buy into that or not, it's not the way they're going to do it anymore. It's not the way Brian Harson wants to do it. It's not the way I would prefer to do it if, if I had my way for the way my team was going to operate. But there were a lot of adjustments. There were a lot of checks. And there were a lot of things that Bo Nix was being asked to do in a lot of ways for the first time at the line of scrimmage yesterday that didn't have a whole lot to do with his throwing motion or mechanics. Like that stuff, it was a mixed bag. But we'll see how that comes along when they have the benefit of hundreds of reps in the summer with seven-on-seven, seven, and then they have an entire fall camp. Wide receiver at Auburn is as weak a unit as I've seen in quite a while there. This is not a top 12 wide receiver room in the SEC. I know they had a couple of guys out. I know that. I had a lot of you text me that this morning. I think they got a long way to go. As I said with Miami's linebacker room, it is imperative that Auburn address their wide receiver room via the transfer portal. They just have to. I'm telling you, you can talk about Bo Nix all you want to. If they don't have better options and they don't have more options in that receiver room, 
it won't matter. There will not be a vertical element to speak of. No one will fear you when they step on the field defensively. They don't care what kind of tools your quarterback has because he has no one to throw it to. I know there's a lot of focus on the tight end position at Auburn right now, and that's great. I, a lot of it's by necessity. They got to take what they get. I know Brian Harson probably walked in and he wished more than anything that he could overhaul 80% of that roster and just change it out. It's not that they're bad players. They're just not players that are perfectly fit for his scheme. Well, you can't do that. And so you got to settle for what you have. And right now, what they have is a very inside-out offense, which is not the worst thing in the world if you're playing 30 years ago. But these days, not so much. You want to be elite on the perimeter. They got a really good back. Tank Bigsby, let's talk about him. Absolutely. Tank Bigsby showed you everything yesterday that you want to see from him. Uh, Tank Bigsby is going to be a guy that you can depend on and you can lean on. I think Sean Shivers, though, speaking of that running back room, is probably a guy that in terms of new staffs coming in, benefits as much from his new staff as anyone does because Sean Shivers is a guy, I don't know why it is, it just seems to me his skill set matches this staff and this system a lot more than the system Malzahn was running. So that's good. That's good you got two there. I am not overly thrilled with where they are on the offensive line. See, this is a situation where they got a lot of experience. They've got a lot of returning this and that. I just don't think they're that good. Like, I think that's one unit that Harson would love to overturn right now if he could. Again, good kids. I've been around a lot of those guys. I've covered Auburn. They put the work in, good work ethic. They just, the ceiling on those guys is not to the level that you would need to have a potent enough offense to win games consistently in the SEC. Unless you got a star-studded defense. Which brings me over to the other side. Now, this is not something that was settled yesterday, and this is not something that's going to be settled for a while. Derek Mason is the most under-the-radar hire that any staff, I think, may be made. Because I think there were a lot of headlines for someone like Bill O'Brien at Alabama. There weren't a ton of headlines, really, outside of Auburn for Derek Mason. Derek Mason, part A of what excites me about him is he's a really good defensive coach. Uh, He's probably done the most with any single unit on that team so far, granted through 14 practices, as anyone on that staff. So all's well so far on that front. But the thing about Derek Mason is I think they could get huge bang for their buck in the recruiting game with him because he's not known as an elite recruiter. But yet, how in the world would he have been? What were his previous stops? What was it, Stanford and Vanderbilt? Well, it doesn't matter. I could put some of the most elite recruiters in the world at those stops. They're not going to stand out to you. They're not landing top 10, 15 classes. So here's what could be in that package. What could be in that package is one of the better defensive coaches in the conference and something you didn't know, maybe one of the better recruiters. We'll see. Time will tell on that. Um, for their sake, he better be, and he better not be the only one on that staff because this is, this is an overhaul job. The personnel here, it's an overhaul job. Now, I know I'm selling them a little short, and it sounds like four and eight is in the cards. They're better than that. They're a whole lot better than that. They're better than 500. But that's not where they want to float because, as we've talked about many times before, I think the 9-3, and 10-2 and two expectation will be a little high down there right now. That's where they need to be. To justify moving on from the previous staff, that's where they need to be. And so after the 14th practice at Auburn, you know, with a new staff in, it, drawing conclusions is tantamount to me asking you, do the clothes fit? Do the clothes I bought you, do they fit? And you're still trying to take them out of the box. And I'm, do they fit or not? That's what I want to know. Well, they're not out of the box yet. Is Auburn going to be good in 2021? I don't know. They're not even out of the box yet. Uh, what I do know is I think they need to make moves at receiver. Like I wish they could make something happen on the offensive line. Again, I know that there is a lot of stock being put in the salvation aspect of the transfer portal. And in a lot of cases, I just think there's going to be a lot more heartbreak there than there is celebration. But who knows? Maybe the exception to the rule will be at Auburn. I don't have any more paper in front of me, which means it looks like we're done. We had so much more happening yesterday. I'll tell you, this is not a segment, Jesse, don't worry about it. I think Anthony Brown is the guy at quarterback for Oregon. I was talking to uh, some folks from Oregon yesterday, even as their scrimmage was going on. And it wasn't, it wasn't a Ty Thompson bash fest. Ty Thompson's the true freshman quarterback from, is it Mesquite? It's Arizona, somewhere in Arizona. Underrated state to recruit him, by the way. And visit. Went to Scottsdale one time. Unlike Jan on The Office, I actually went there. Great place. Probably out of my price range, but great place. But it looks like Anthony Brown's the guy. And here's the way I'm looking at this right now. I remember in 2014, one of the biggest storylines in college football in 2014 was, there's this kid at Florida State named Jake Coker. And Jake Coker 
is a guy who Jimbo Fisher said almost beat out Jameis Winston. But Winston ended up starting. He goes undefeated. He wins us a title at Florida State. And Jake Coker ends up, he's going to go transfer. And he's going to go to Alabama. Well, let's just put two and two together here. If this guy was almost good enough to beat out a Heisman, first-round draft caliber kind of quarterback, well, certainly he's going to be good enough to beat out but who? Blake Sims. Well, hasn't he moved around to like four different positions? And so the assumption before Jake Coker ever stepped foot in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, was well, it's only a matter of time. He's going to be the starter. I believe this too. So I was as guilty as anyone else. And then one week goes by, and Blake Sims is still the quarterback. And then two weeks goes by, and then fall camp's happening. And then all of a sudden, first week rolls around, and I was, I think, at the game. They played West Virginia to open the season in the Georgia Dome. Rest in peace. One of the most underrated venues in the country. Still miss it to this day. And it was Blake Sims' team. And he never let go of the job. And they ended up winning the SEC that year and going to the playoffs. They ultimately got bounced by Ohio State. But I think I feel a lot of that with Oregon. Ty Thompson walks in, and you know what the accolades are, and you know what the marquee says, and Anthony Brown's this guy we got from Boston College, but he's like 26 years old. Actually, I don't think he's far away from 26. He's old by college standards, grant you. He's old. Uh, They just, a lot of people at Oregon, they've viewed it as a foregone conclusion, and nationally too, maybe even more so than at Oregon. Maybe you guys have been a little more in the loop there, but nationally, it's been a foregone conclusion. Oh, Ty Thompson's going to come in here. Could be one week, could be two weeks, but he'll take that job over. I know we're not even through spring. I know they haven't gotten to the spring game yet. I'm going to put out something right now. I'm going to update my map, so to speak. I would be mildly surprised at this point if Anthony Brown, barring injury, of course, is not the starter for Oregon, at least in week one. They go to Columbus to play Ohio State, by the way, in week two. So that stood out yesterday. We got a whole bunch from Texas I couldn't get to. Uh, Tennessee still got their spring game to go. So it's going to be a loaded week. I strongly encourage you, to like the video if you're watching on YouTube. Make sure you're locked onto the channel. Also make sure you are subscribed to the podcast because there's going to be a lot on there this week. We do two of those per week that do not appear on the YouTube channel. And there's a lot of spillover sometimes on those podcasts that I can't get to. And having said all that, there's even more over on my Instagram channel that I can't put in the podcast at late kick Josh on Instagram. Follow me over there. A lot of fun. A lot of fun with some non-college football stuff, too. So it's been a fun night. Again, don't tune out. Don't tune out at any point. Just stick with us all the way through the season because uh, we are not wasting time on this show. And as you can see, even having not wasted any time, we almost went an hour tonight, and it's mid-April. So, again, the offseason's not real. For Director Emeritus Collin, for Jesse and the entire crew in Connecticut, I'm Josh Pate. Thanks so much for watching. Have a great start to your week, and God bless. now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.